Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I'm looking excited. I am so jazzed. First of all, first of all, let me just do a little, look how nice my hair looks right? It doesn't usually look this good. And well, that sounds arrogant, but you know what I'm saying? If you're watching this, you can see my hair looks nice and blonde and it's pretty and it's because of today's guest. So we're excited. We're excited to introduce you guys to one of my beloved friends, Jessica Todd, or as I call her, JT. Uh, JT, first and foremost to me, um, even though she is a master of hair, uh, she's just a fellow mass hole too, which is one of the reasons why I love her so much. But so I'll give you the official bio. And then I'll invite my friend and let her do a little self-introduction as well. So JT, Jessica Todd, is the owner of the Jessica Todd Salon in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And she, like me, has a lot of things after her name, right? She's not, she's multidimensional. So she's not only a stylist, she's an artist, she's an international educator, she's a mentor, she's a dancer, she's a cat mom, and she's an advocate and a warrior of light. And we're definitely going to dive into that one. Uh, so she's been in the industry for like 16 years, uh, and she discovered a fierce determination to perfect her craft, fueled by her innate passion with the industry. And I really want to talk about that too. There's so many things I want to dive into. Um, her salon, uh, Jessica Todd Salon, is the premier, I think, beauty destination in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, not only because she's driven by excellent, but she also surrounds herself with international leaders of her industry. Um, and she, I think she also surrounds herself in her studio um, with um, really passionate, creative people who um, love what they do. And you can tell, you can feel the energy when you walk into a space. So that's just me like <laughs> diving in there a little bit. Uh, she's an expert of the art of balayage, which um, was new to me, but it's amazing. Cause to me, it's the most natural looking form of painting hair. That's how I kind of look of it. Uh, it's the most classical yet modern form of hair coloring. She's become a master of the sexy, natural looking low maintenance color that thrills her clients and fulfills her passion to create wearable and beautiful art. Uh, she's an artist for um, L'Oreal Professional. So she's like gone all over the world, you guys, to teach, to mentor, to help other people deepen their skill sets. Um, so she's an educator. She inspires and leads other hairdressers around the country. And this allows them to tap into their own artistry and creativity and passion. So you guys, welcome to the show. My friend, JT, Jessica Todd, thank you so much. <laughs> Hi, KK. Hi, sweetheart. So I'm so happy to have you on the show. And I think one of the things that um, is a common thread with the people that I tend to have on the show, first of all, they're usually people I already know. And I usually do solo shows. I only have people on, if at all, like once a month. So that real estate is like short and tight. And if somebody's on my show, it's because they're doing something 
I believe that I'm either, um, well, first of all, they're usually on the show because I love them. Um, I'm excited by the work that they're doing in the world. Um, and they um, have a level of excellence in some way. And so I think it's interesting. So the people I tend to have on the show tend to be seen uh, in this light of either being an expert or being um, top of the line or best selling this or whatever. But it's not how it's all started. <laughs> so I always like to begin, like, tell us a little bit about your story, how you kind of found yourself in the world of hair artistry and styling and all that stuff. Because I know you personally, but the listeners may not. So just tell us a little bit about your origin story and how we find ourselves here with you being um, such an incredible entrepreneur and businesswoman and stylist. Yeah, so that could take up the entire, yeah, <laughs> entire show. Nice. So I'm, I'm going to hit some high points yes. and some low points. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think, and it will lead us into, I think, you know, what you want to talk about later, but... Um, you know, I think for a lot of, um, you know, women and men in the hairdressing industry, it's not always option A or B, like setting out from the beginning to go be a hairstylist. And um, so for me, you know, I had, I grew up in Newburyport, Massachusetts, and uh, it was a, a, you know, it was a very nice town, cute, pretty. It looks like a Norman Rockwell town, especially in, you know, uh, Christmas time with all the trees and the pretty houses, you know, and I came from a, um, a middle-class hardworking family, you know, my parents were divorced and, um, they divorced when I was nine and growing up in a town like that, where everything looks pretty and perfect, you know, on the outside, it was definitely like one of those type of feels, but my parents were great and they were better actually co-parenting separately than, you know, together. Cause that relationship just wasn't serving them. Yeah. Um, but from an early age, you know, I just didn't really fit into the type of um, we'll say the cookie cutter schooling system. Yes. And I went to a private Catholic school from kindergarten um, to fourth grade. And then in fifth grade, I went to a public school and I just, you know, I always, and not to sound arrogant, I always felt like a smart kid, but I just knew like the, the type of learning, it was like, I either super excelled in whatever class I was taking, yeah. or I was like failing. Like my report card always looked like a rainbow. It was like, there was one of every letter on there. Can I ask you a question? Um, yeah. Cause I always find that fascinating. Was it based on, was it based on, do you think the teacher, the subject, your mood that like, what do you think what the ones you excelled at versus the ones where you were like shit can in this or whatever, not showing up, whatever the story was, what do you think? It, what, what do you think the difference was? I think it was probably a combination of all three, right? Like there were just certain teachers that I really, you know, like you can just tell, especially as a kid, like kids can see through the bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. So like you can tell if you're a good match with a teacher or not, and yeah. you can tell, you know, and, and now me teaching other people and I'm teaching adults, you know, primarily in my age range or older. Um, but you can just tell when you don't vibe with somebody, you know, and um, when you're with somebody for a long, over a long period of time, over the course of a year, that can be really challenging. And yes. so that for me, and I think always being a wicked sensitive kid, yeah. that was something for me that I could sense that like immediately. And it, that was really hard. So there were some teachers that were, 
you know, incredible. Um, and that I really, you know, understood and, you know, and I get it like now, now just teaching and understanding more about the school system as an adult, I can see how hard it is and the lack of support that a lot of teachers have. So like, I think, I think from that standpoint, I was definitely somebody in certain subjects and areas that I really needed more help and I needed, you know, an IEP and education plan. And, but I was, but also my personality being stubborn and no, I don't need your help. And, you know, always like, like they would have had to force the help down my throat. Yes. So yes. That's right. <laughs> definitely a little combination of, of the three. It was definitely yes. one particular. So, but as we get to, you know, in school, so much of that forms how we are. And I had, again, my parents are divorced, but I had a family that supported me. I have so many aunts and uncles and so many people that were helping me. You know, it wasn't like I was just like left to do everything on my own. Um, but it was just this feeling of not fitting in from the beginning and Mm -hmm. not feeling, um, it. And when you're growing up, especially at that time, it was like, if you don't go, you grow up and you go to college. And if you don't do that, you will not amount to anything. And that was a belief right or wrong or wherever it came from. I don't know, but that was a belief that I had and always having a hard time testing. It formed this pattern in my head. I still deal with it today where I make things more difficult. And I start really writing the story before I even get to something. If it's something that I know that is going to be challenging, right? Because it's that feeling of not wanting to fail. So for example, when we would do, they call them the MCAS testing. And it was like the testing with all Okay. Got it. So, so it was just always this feeling whether I was taking a test and I didn't want to be the last one to finish. And I would just scramble to just fill in the bubbles, answer the questions and pass in the test. Hmm. I, I was, I was cutting myself short always because I just had this, like this feeling that, you know, you're going to fail. You're going to be the last one. And I, and it's, it's just interesting. Cause I still am not like I don't know. It's just, I think for me, I would have done well in a different type of schooling. Again, I don't think it was anyone's fault. It just was what it was, but also, you know, so then fast forward, I I go to high school. Um, I am a varsity cheerleader freshman year psyched to be hanging out with all the older kids and feeling cool. And, you know, there was like 11 juniors that I became friends with and you do the pasta parties the night before a game and you do like decorate the lockers and hang with everybody. So I felt like I was like, sweet, I'm transitioning into high school. Well, I'm making (laughs) friends with everybody. And I was like, you know, this little tiny, I didn't even look like I should have been in high school for another like four years, probably with my braces and so small and you know, whatever. And then, and then I start partying and hanging out with everybody after school, outside of school. And it was, it was my sophomore year. My grandmother passed away and that was the hardest and the closest loss I had ever had to me. And she was somebody who was, I spent a lot of time with and who always, no matter what loved me, she's the, she's really the one person who I felt truly loved me unconditionally and really embodied and showed that. Cause I think there's people who can say that they do, but you know, your parents are your parents and they're concerned about you and they just want to make sure you turn out to be a decent human. Right. So there's a whole other stress that goes with that. So she's like your safe place and she's your unconditional place, which is, 
you know, that's a magical place for kids. And Megs and I were talking about this the other night, like her grandfather was that for her. Yeah. Right. I think, I think for a kid, when you, when you lose that, that place where you feel not just fully seen, which in and of itself is amazing, Mm. but you feel not judged and you feel totally welcomed. And so that piece that you were talking about, like at the beginning, when you were like saying, oh, I never really felt like I belonged. Well, you knew you belonged to your grandmother. Yes. And I think that's the thing. And I think when you lose that combined with, and I'm laughing because I was also a, a, a freshman year cheerleader who made varsity. So I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm very familiar with that whole thing. So I'm kind of laughing over here. But um, yeah, I mean, so that loss is, is like, you know, because I, I, and I want to pause and, and dive into that just for a second and pay attention to that and give it the attention it deserves because I think there's this kind of this expectation of like, um, oh, their grandmother died. That's too bad. But like, oh, they're old. So like long life and like, whatever, whatever this idea of is of old people dying. But if you're a kid and that's your person, it's a big fucking deal. It's a really big deal. And she was 69 when she passed away, you know, so she was still young and she, she fought cancer for 14 years. So it was, she beat a diagnosis and then would be in remission for five years and then get another diagnosis. And so it was, her loss was also parlayed with, oh my God, I'm going to get cancer. You know, my mom's a three-time cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot, there was a lot of anxiety built up in all of that. So I was always super anxious. And I think between my grandmother's loss and knowing, you know, the battle that she fought um, and seeing my mom go through it too, at a very young age, it was, there was so much anxiety wrapped up in that. And I did not have the tools or the brain capacity to, to really understand what kind of trauma that was. And growing up in an Irish Catholic family and Italian, you know, you didn't talk about any of that shit. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. They're, was, yeah. <laughs> you know, my little feelings, cousin, what are, what are feelings? Tears? What are tears? Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, I remember feeling so uncomfortable shedding tears. And again, it was not it just was, it just is what it is. Right. It's like, they grew up how they grew up. I grew up how I grew up. And, you know, and so I didn't, those emotions had nowhere to go. And so I started medicating what I now know was self-medicating with experimenting with drugs. And I mean, the first time I smoked pot, I was in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, it led to drinking and then it led to smoking cigarettes and then it led to trying other substances. And it just, it just, it just went on and on and on. And I was, I always knew in the back of my head that it wasn't, I didn't really always like, I didn't like being out of control of my body and feeling that way. And so typically, you know, when it would go there, I only liked things that I could feel like quote unquote in control, but still kind of numb out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it got me into some really dangerous situations and, um, I'm just really lucky to be alive, to be honest. And I lost a lot of people. Um, I mean, by the time we had graduated high school, we'd lost like six people, Mm -hmm. um, that had died of overdoses or car accidents or whatever. Um, and then, so long story short is I ended up moving out of my house cause my mom couldn't tolerate my behavior. Once my grandmother died, I, the drinking really got out of control. I was removed from my house by the cops cause she wanted me to go live with my dad. She called the cops on me. 
Um, I had a, I have a younger brother and sister and she just was like this. We just can't do this behavior in this house anymore. How old were you? And what'd you say? How old were you? 16. So yeah. 17. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) drinking like a half a bottle of tequila and whatever. And so I knew that going to live with my dad was going to be like boot camp, and I didn't want to do that either. And I just, I just fought everything in my life. I just fought, and I ultimately got you know what I wanted, and I think ultimately what I needed. Um, and I ended up living with my best friend Jamie and Revere, and <laughs> Revere. Learned, learned how to drive a manual stick shift. You know? <laughs> on the hills by the pizza shop and you know we live right by Blanchard's up there and mm. and we ended up and I still when I drive by the air when I drive to the airport I drive by the block of where we used to live and all the time it's like I just give a little salute of like <laughs> that, that was like such a great and crazy part of my life yeah and uh, we lived with her mom and she was amazing and I just needed to have that experience of not someone having their thumb on me all the time so we would drive to school from Revere every day and drive to Newburyport. I'll never forget. We got pulled over one time and the officer, I was like, Oh my God. And my mom was a 911 dispatcher. Oh had that. And she goes, if you ever get in trouble, you have to tell the police your, the, like the truth, like period. You just have to tell the truth. I don't care what you did. So I pull over, I get pulled over on route one heading South, uh, doing, Oh my God, like 70. Cause I was trying to pass, I was trying to pass a truck and my friend is sitting in the passenger seat and she, and, and I was like, we're dead. We're absolutely dead. I have no permit, no license. I'm driving her car. She's fully licensed, like doing her makeup. You know, we're just like cruising oh, okay. to school. And this was like a regular, you know, routine. Like two dumb kids. Like, like, yeah, we just get, right. We think we're, we think we're, we are, um, invincible. Like it's never, yeah. nothing bad's going to happen. We're just going to do the stupid shit. Right. <laughs> oh, so this happens. We had class, we had like empties in the back. I had a bowl in the glove compartment. It falls out when the officer goes license and registration. I go, uh, here's a registration, sir. I don't have a license. And he thought that I just meant that I like didn't have it on me. So he goes to pull a pen and paper, bull falls out of the seat, kicks it underneath. She's like, he's like, uh, he's what I forget what he asked me. And I said, I don't think you understand, sir. I don't have a license at all. And he goes permit. And I was like, no. And he just like was dumbfounded. I think that I was telling him, you know, the truth. And he was probably also getting off of his shift and was like, this is way too much paperwork for me to handle. And he saw us and I was like, I'm so sorry. We're going to school, blah, blah, blah. I tell him the whole story. He goes to his cruiser. He comes back and he reads us the riot act and he just made us switch seats. And he goes, you're going to drive 50 the rest of the way home. You're not going to speak a word to this. And if I ever see you again, I'm arresting you. And oh he God. let us you go. Got, your ass got lucky that day. Lucky. I was you're like, like- <laughs> thank you. so then so it was just story like that after story and then I finally got into I ended up moving back into my house with my mom changing my behavior they told me I wasn't going to graduate high school on time with my class that I was basically failing um my junior year and was going to be held back due to attendance um and then when that happened, I was, I was just determined to still graduate with my class. Cause it's like, even though, you know, you're doing these things, you still don't think like your kid, like you're, I'm not thinking, I'm still thinking I'm going to graduate high school. I'm not thinking of the consequences. I'm not thinking of whatever. 
And I remember going, how did I start out as a kid so excited about high school, varsity cheerleader, you know, playing sports with growing up with my friends. And then all of a sudden I became like, quote unquote, one of those kids that was like a troubled kid off the beaten path, you know, always getting in trouble, getting arrested. And um, it was that moment that I decided, nope, I'm going to do it. So I was going to um, Northern Essex Community College at night. Um, and I was taking, I was taking a, a dual ride. So I basically was taking some senior classes there that they were going to give me credit for at the high school. And so I was doing my senior year, my junior year at the same time. So I went from like not going to school at all to then I was like double duty, just trying to graduate with my class. And, and this, uh, is your, this, this is your senior year. So you're playing catch yeah. up your senior year, like kind of backtracking and trying to get it all in at once. Yeah. Where everyone's doing like the easy ride. I'm like yeah. doing doubling down, doubling down. Yeah. yeah. I was like, but that was my spirit. You know, I'm like, no, we're going to do this. I'm going to graduate. This is, I'm not accepting this whole situation. So I get home one night from class. It was late. Cause I would go to school, high school during the day, take four classes and then get home, take a break and then go to night class, drive myself to night class. And my mom was like, your friends called, they're out snowmobiling, you know, you should go have some fun, blow up some steam. And I did. And unbeknownst to me, you know, they had been drinking. A couple of them were old enough to drink. And I, we were driving with my friend who was the one, you know, he was definitely the most responsible out of all of us. Um, he had had a couple drinks and we were driving in a Camaro SS supercharged. Um, and it was black ice on one a in which is a super windy road and going from Ipswich to Rowley. And we hit black ice doing 55 and we hit a telephone pole. We hit a John Deere tractor first and pushed it 50 feet and then hit a telephone pole on a stone wall. And I could tell you if we hit the telephone pole or if we hit the tree that was a few feet to the right, none of us would have been alive. Um, we all somehow walked out of the car, but the whole front end was missing. I separated my right shoulder. I got my third concussion that I had been hospitalized for in two years. Um, others were from cheerleading and I looked up and I could see my forehead and I don't remember the accident at all. So my forehead was so swollen. I could see like a fourth of the underneath, like while just looking oh up. Um, and I, I ruptured a disc in my back. I couldn't sit in a desk for like a month. And so at that point, um, I missed so much school that they said, you know, you have to, we can give you an incomplete, but you're not going to graduate on time. You know, everything mm -hmm. had to go, the plan had to go. So at that point I just said, you know what, I, I just can't do any of this anymore. And I ended up dropping out, getting my GED, and then I finished my classes. So I ironically ended up having, you know, college class, college credit before my class even graduated. Cause I just ended up finishing you know, everything, but it was definitely a surreal experience sitting in the stands of my graduation, watching all my friends and my class graduate and going, how did this, how did this happen? Do you and think that, do you think that that car accident though, did it, did it shift anything in your mind? Was it, you know, some people will say, well, that was, that was a wake up call. And I always like to ask that question because sometimes people like, no, I just like kept doing what I was doing. Right. And other people say mm -hmm. like, oh, that's when I like stopped and you know, as much as you can at that age, like took stock of like, yeah, I got to cut this shit out or whatever. And I know you weren't driving. So I'm not saying like you were in that you were you were being spun around by the circumstances. But did do you think anything within you shifted at that point? Everything shifted. I was 
that that scared the hell out of me that was like you will end up dead if you keep doing what you're doing Mm -hmm. and even though it wasn't like honestly and even the like i don't even really blame my friend that was driving it was just i think it was just a wake-up call for all of us you know like it was just bad circumstances like he wasn't drunk he wasn't out drinking all night you know it was just like it was just something that I guess that we all needed. I truly believe we get what we need, Mm -hmm. um, not what we want. And it was just that moment that I was like, okay, this is it. And that was like my grandmother's biggest fear. Like I remember my mom said, oh, I have a note that your grandmother left you and I'm reading it. And it's literally like, you don't have to be so angry all the time. We love you. It's like this whole note, like the only note that I have from her was her worried because I was just, I was like this up all the time. Like, against the world, you know? And she saw that and she would record Oprah shows for me, you know, when you had to record it on the thing. And it was like all these troubled teens and, you know, how they would turn their life around. And it was like, she just, cause she still saw the kid in me and she still saw me for who I was. And so it was just like, I can't thank my family enough because people are destined to have their path, no matter what that path is and no matter who's around them. So like I, I came from a very loving, supporting family and there was nothing that anybody could have done to change my path. Cause that was what it was. And so from that point on, I was uh, working at a restaurant called Stripers. I was working in the kitchen as a food expo and anyone that's worked in a restaurant knows it's not always the healthiest environment. And- <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I think I was drinking crown Royal, like in the kitchen, I still wasn't 21, like the saga continued. So I guess I did still end up doing a little bit of what I shouldn't have been doing. And I was cleaning houses and I loved the woman I worked for. And I just liked doing work. Like I just liked, I always had jobs, no matter what the situation was. I always had at least two jobs. I still do. Um, And it was just like, I just need to take care of myself, you know? And then I thought, well, screw it. I might as well go to hair school. I love doing hair and makeup. I always did. And I always had a passion for that. And I liked meeting people. And so I, I, I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh, I want to go to hair school because I love the art of hair. Like I love hair, but I really think that I love people the most. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think what I do now more so than hair is I grow people. I help people grow you know, to the fullest potential of what is right for them in my company. And so when I went to hair school, I knew that I had to set myself up for success and go somewhere where I physically wanted to be like in meaning the town, because I, I I knew that if it was not a good environment, I know my pattern is to just ditch out and be like, (laughs) no, So I I made it through, I made it through school with the help of, um, the woman, Nicole Lawton, her, her father owned it and it was her family school for a long time. And her, my dad, she, my dad would come and check in on me. Cause still nobody was like, they're like, Oh, we'll see how long this lasts kind of thing, you know, sure, like, sure. School, but we'll see. And I would skip class again. Cause I didn't have a great relationship with one of the teachers and just, you know, it, I just kept seeing all the same patterns arise. And, um, And so they got me through school, thank God. And then I got my first job in Boston Hair Studio, worked there, then got my next dream job at Six Degrees over on Bow Street, worked there for five and a half years. Is that in Portsmouth? Is that in Portsmouth? 
both in Portsmouth, both downtown Portsmouth. And um, but let me ask you something too. So like your story, you're so used to it, right? Like it's your story. And yeah. I, I keep seeing these as a storyteller, I see all these little pings where I'm like, oh, I want to jump in. And so, yeah, like you, you started at the very beginning of this conversation, you said for a lot of hairstylists, it was not like their first choice. Right. Right. You kind of just like find some, for some people, it's like you, you somehow, whatever, you find yourself there. But as you were like growing up, right? So I'm thinking about like, you're a very creative person. You're a very expressive person, but there's a good chunk of your time where you're like in a Catholic school uniform, right? Yeah. And so it's like, they were, it was like, there was no individuality. It was like, we, we want all you motherfuckers to look the same, right? Like yeah. that's part of how they try to keep the ranks under control, right? But so you're like, oh, I go to school, I do this. Now I'm working here and I'm working there. Do you start to see any kind of natural talent unfold? Do you start to discover, oh, I really love to do color versus doing cuts? Like, do you, do you feel like you had any kind of natural ability that you excelled at? Or just, you know, I often think like, so when you're cutting my hair, you know, and you like pull the hair up to trim it and you do the angle and then you go in and I'm always like, like that's hair, like that is like, like I call it like a uh, hair math. Like I don't understand how you guys know to pull the hair to the left and do this and then it falls and it's not crooked. Like it literally, I just watch it. I laugh because I'm like, I would be a shit show as a hairstylist. But I'm thinking like, was there any natural inclination or did you start to discover yourself in that? Like, did you ever have a moment where you're like, shit, I'm really good at this? Yeah, definitely. I was, I was creative. And I think that's why I'm such a visual learner that even, even right now, like I don't teach haircutting in my salon because I'm not a, I am a technical haircutter, but I'm not, I, I see the way the hair falls. I know the way that this cowlick goes, I know this hair texture. So I cut, I cut for what I see, but when I go to verbally translate that to somebody new, like they need to learn the rules so that they can then learn to break the rules. Right. It's like my yes. favorite quote by Picasso, I think is learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. And I was, um, so I would call that like, let me interrupt you for a second. So yeah. I, I kind of call that, they call it like, um, there's an unconscious competence. So it's almost like there's things that you just naturally know how to do. And that's like unconscious competence. Like you just know how to do it, it just makes sense. And so there are a lot of people who, um, you know, like my sweetie, like people will say, oh, does he do guitar lessons? And I'm like, well, he learned everything by ear and he doesn't read music. So yeah. he can show you things and he whatever, but I wouldn't consider him. And I don't think he considers himself like a guitar teacher because he knows what to do. But knowing how you do it and why it's totally intuitive to you versus teaching it is a really different thing. And like we were having a conversation the other night with our friend who is a dog expert. She's like one of a world-class trainer. And I was saying to her, and she's kind of retired now. Um, and I was saying to her, I always thought it would have been so cool. You know, Sarah, her name is Sarah Wilson. Um, and I said, it would have been so cool if you had started to teach others like you train the trainers type of a thing because yeah. the world like yeah i just see so much going wrong with people and their animals but my sweetie was saying well sarah's kind of in the same situation as you and i which is she has a natural competence and her way of doing things to be able to teach that to other people first of all they have to be able to receive it and understand it but you also have to be able to put into words what you just already naturally know how to do. And it sounds like that, but I have seen you teaching balayage. 
So that's a little different, right? You want to dive into that maybe? Yeah. So I teach that. So, so basically when I, and that brings me to when I, when I started working at six degrees, I wanted to, I wanted to have more education, like for myself, you know, cause I had just like worked my way through and I definitely saw that I had a natural competence and was, was getting, I saw the, pro- the progress happening. And one of the women that worked there, Sherry McDonald said, you need to, you should be teaching. Like you should come with me. L'Oreal, L'Oreal trains people. So she saw something. She had been in the industry for a while. And I was like, yeah, right. Me teaching. Cause I just told you my experience with school. And I like would break out in hives, just thinking about speaking in front of like two of my peers, never mind going to a salon teach. Like that was literally my worst nightmare, but I had just moved out on my own. It was 2008. The economy had just tanked. And that was when I was starting out on the floor, trying to build my clientele. Like the economy just crashed. And I'm like, great. No one's got extra money to spend on a haircut, expensive haircut and whatever. So I just started doing whatever I could. And so I auditioned for L'Oreal so terrifying. I was going to say auditioning. I immediately just went to my collar. I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. It was, it was, it was gross. Like I, (laughs) I was like, if I live through this, like actually if I don't pass out and die on the floor, I will, I I just won't teach. I don't know. Um, I'll just be like, okay, I passed and I'll, I'll whatever. (laughs) And so I ended up, I ended up getting it and doing it. And I literally started off teaching, um, teaching about the color line or product knowledge classes. I would travel and bring my books. And I had my little red Jetta that was like my first car ever that was so beat up. And there was no navigation systems when I started teaching. So I'd print out my MapQuest directions before I go. If I took a wrong turn, I'm screwed. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be late to the salon. (laughs) Like the anxiety was already like up to here. I would leave like an hour early to make sure that I like could get to the place. So it was like, a whole big thing. I think I was getting paid like 75 bucks a class at the time. <laughs> like it would take up my entire day. I'd have to get home, fill out my expenses and all my stuff and like mail it in via like, you know, courier pigeon. Like it was just like, it was ridiculous. So and that kid, I mean, we need to just pause for a minute and like give a little nod though to the kid who did it scared, like did it scared. Like so much of that was like, you know, she had a quest for knowledge. She wanted to better herself. Like, and you did all the right things. It's like, you know, like that's when you, and this is, I think, where there's always that turning point too. I think we have a lot of these places where spiritual team on the job, it's like somebody saw something in you. And when somebody outside of you sees something in you that you can't yet see in yourself, that it does something to your mind where there's a shift in your mind into possibility. And that to me is a miracle when your mind moves. That's what we say in the Course in Miracles, that a miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love. So her seeing you in that way was such a gift. And then you thought, well, maybe I can do it, even though you were terrified. But that kid, like you, you guys don't know, I have this picture of JT that I keep on my phone. That should actually be the picture of the- Oh my God, totally. Forget my biopic, just make it that. I have this amazing picture of JT when she's a little girl and she's in her Catholic school uniform with her big glasses and she's like tiny. She's like this little person and her socks, her little, I call her little weirdo socks are like rolled down like donuts around her ankles, you know? And that's what I think of. Like, I think it's so fascinating. Like if people come into your salon today, 
and they see the big orange wall with your name, Jessica Todd. And there's like the video things and everything's like wicked clean. And there's like 17 stylists and you're just like, it's like a little beauty empire, right? But it's like, I always walk in there and I think the little girl with the rolled down socks did this. And I think it's just a powerful thing. Like you did it scared. And like, I love that you're like getting your 75 bucks and your shit box of a car. Like, like me too, like getting the map quest and being so scared that you're like, I'm going to leave an hour early. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do all these things. You know, it's just a really big deal. I think you froze, so I'm going to pause again. And we're back. So listen, is just know we're having some weirdo stuff. Like I think I thought Mars went direct, so this wasn't supposed to be happening, but the computer systems are acting a little weird today, so bear with us. But just to recap what I was saying, I was just saying like, you know, you it's really easy now for somebody to meet you now and come into your world at the salon and just think like, holy shit, this thing is un unbelievable. It's this incredible location, downtown Portsmouth. Um, you know, it's beautiful. There's 17 people hustler I'm working with. I mean, with COVID, it's a little different right now, like with spacing and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's really pretty amazing. But all I, when I walk in, I always think like, oh, the little, the little weirdo girl with the rolled down socks is the one that created this. So I always just like to give a nod to that and give a nod to the people who, who see us and who mm -hmm. help us to believe that this possible, like we, we have something within us greater than what we can sometimes see for ourselves. Always. I think you're such a great storyteller and interview, Karen. Like I love Every time I tell my story to like to you specifically, I see different things and I see different gifts in the story. And I think, you know, when people ask me and they come in and they say, wow, look at this wall. And they see the orange wall. I'm like, yeah, that wall. They're like, it must be so cool. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool for sure. But it makes me want to puke, you know, pop champagne, run. Like it, it brings up all the things. And it was and I think what you said is I've done my whole life scared, you know, and I think we're all scared to a degree. And that was, I was, I was really terrified to be seen and really terrified to fail. And so those are like, open a salon with a giant orange wall with your name on it. And I mean, the fears couldn't come up fast enough. It was just like this insecurity, this insecurity. And I think that the fact that I did the education, I mean, the education and the events and all the stuff that I've done, you know, that has been a nod to the little weirdo with the rolled down socks. That's like, I'm doing it and I'm still being me. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that, you know, it's hilarious to look at my headshots from like the beginning of the salon. Like I have this one year book and the associates, they're like, wow, you look really different. I had this like Bob and these really strong angular glasses and like tons of makeup and fake eyelashes and big like costume jewelry like earrings like because I was 26 when I started and people would walk in and go wait you're Jessica like they would just be confused a bit oh I was expecting someone much older I was well yeah and didn't you you had a phase where like you had a, a buzzed head like a shaved head and like people were like yeah and that's what I love is like you were always creative and you were always an artist and you were always like expressing yourself and I think that like, like you said, like you were a young salon owner, mm -hmm. especially at the level. It's not like you had a little corner place where you rented a chair. I'm not saying you never did that, but like, right. it's like, so you rented a chair. It's like, 
you walk into this thing and you're like, oh, this is like, so, you know, when I lived in Boston, I used to get my hair done on Newbury Street. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, as a kid who grew up getting her hair cut in Lawrence Mass at like the local salon, getting my hair, getting my hair permed by Sherry in the back room, you know, versus like getting my hair done on Newbury Street. Like that was like a salon like that. I can't tell you how many times I would go in there and be like, hey, I can't believe not your place, but I'm saying I can't believe how much I'm paying to get my hair cut, first of all. Yeah. But you would walk in and you just felt like I'm an imposter here. Like, I don't belong here. Like, this is fancy schmancy, right? So I think what you've created at your salon is an air of expertise, but it's incredibly welcoming. And I know that was so important to you. And I think what I see when I walk into that salon is all the times that you didn't feel like you belonged, you want people to have the exact opposite experience. I couldn't have said it better myself. I want I want it to be comfortable luxury. I want it to be, I want my team members, you know, when I hire these girls, like all I'm looking for, I do zero, you know, we do a lot of technical training, but when you hire someone out of cosmetology school, they're a licensed professional. So they get like their quote unquote bachelor's degree, you know, at cosmetology. And then we've developed a master's program for them to go through, you know, to teach them business skills, to teach them how to carry themselves as a professional. So like if there was one thing that I wish to leave as my legacy on, you know, the salon industry is to up-level the professionalism and to take it seriously, because I used to introduce myself and say, oh, I'm a hairstylist, you know, and that would be it. And, you know, now I introduce myself, I'm like, I'm a hairstylist, I'm a national and international educator that has a different ring and a different sound of feeling of confidence where I take pride in what I do. Even if I wasn't an educator, I still take extreme pride in my salon And when there's people that like either come from out of town and they don't know me, they're like, oh, you got to come check out the salon. And they come and they're like, wow. It's like that little girl inside of me is incredibly proud because it's like that I've turned out to be the complete opposite of what I thought. But I can tell you as a young salon owner, now being a salon owner for eight years and living through pandemics, staff walking (laughs) out, um, or team. I don't like saying stuff. It's just like so many different things. Um, if I did not have the experiences that I had as a kid and through all those different stages, I can tell you for sure, I would not have the grit or the stamina to endure what I have endured now because there is not a day uh, or an hour that goes by that I get to sit back and go, yep, this thing's on autopilot. I'm good. I have committed to a difficult path, but it's a path of passion and reward. And I will do it until it doesn't make sense for me anymore. Yes. And I am just so grateful for the experiences that I've had because the amount that I've grown as a person, as a 26 year old scared shitless walking through those doors going, how the hell did I fool everybody into thinking that this is fine for me (laughs) and that I can do this to now walking in there and saying, yeah, this is where I deserve to be. This is where I've worked to be. And, and to be able to, you know, hopefully show whoever walks into my salon that it's possible. And also for, you know, that being my team members and then for clients that walk in that everyone's welcome and everybody, I, I don't care if you've been saving up your pennies for, you know, the past year to, pay for your appointment or if there's, or if this is a place that you come all the time, 
everyone gets treated the same. And I just want it to be a place because it's not from a place of vain, but when your exterior does not match how you feel on the inside, there can be a big disconnect and that can do a lot for your confidence or it can affect it in an adverse way. And I truly believe that when people feel like they look better, they, they do better in the world because they feel it, 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 it's a, it's just a different feeling. It's something like, that's what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to tell with the story of like the campaign that we just did of the evolution of beauty was that all these people have stories. And now with Instagram and social media, like I have such a love hate with it. We've talked about it so many times that yes. you can make it look and your friend, Andre Debuse says, you know, it's a curated museum of me. I love that phrase he uses because you can make it look one way. Or when you walk into the salon, you see me as a young, you know, salon owner and you think, wow, she's got it great. And it's like, you have no idea what's gone into anybody's story, right? So I don't take for granted what somebody's gone through or, or, or what, and I'm just fascinated in people's stories. And that's what we get to hear when they sit in the chair is really hear and help people tell their story through their Yeah, kids. so I want to dive into that um, for sure. And I want to touch on something else you said, but it's like, that's one of the things that I found fascinating. Like yesterday when you, uh, when I came in and you washed my hair and I was like, I think this is the first time you have ever washed my hair. And you were like, what? And we were like, La first of all, great head massage, by the way. Um, I don't think I complimented you on that yesterday. I was like, oh my God, love my hair. But I forgot the head massage was heavenly. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because there's always like an apprentice, yes. right? There's always a helper, so a part of the team who is coming up because when I went onto your website, because I don't think I've ever really been on your website because you're one of my you know, best yeah. friends. So I just like, I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. Um, but I went on the website when I was doing this because I'd like to like see peek behind the scenes. And like when I went to everybody's bios and I'm going to come back to the stories, don't, I'm not going to forget that. But when I've seen everybody's bios, it was like, like this stylist is a level six and this stylist is a level this. And I know that you have this program where they're in it for like, it's six months, right? And then they kind of graduate to the floor. Is it six, roughly? It's or, 10 months to a year. And oh, okay. it used to be two years. The girls who started with me, they're like, one of the apprentices, or we call them associates. One of the associates yesterday goes, Jen, did you ever work with Jess? And she was like, he was, she was like, yeah, for like a year and a half, like working a million hours a week. So it's, yeah. it's evolved a lot, but yes, they go yeah, through that. And then if they, if they do well throughout the program, sometimes, unfortunately we have to uninvite associates if we find out they're not a right fit for the company. Cause I don't believe in it will, I believe that if you're not in the right environment in this industry, it will not serve you. And yes. so if I feel like somebody's not in the right environment, we'll uninvite them and help them find another place. Um, and then you, your level is based on the demand on your time that you've built. So there's like different levels of. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And I, and the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because I wanted to make a point is that so yesterday um, you had um, a young man who came over and helped at the end yeah. and part of this apprenticeship. And like you were saying, like you mentor people and you help grow people. You said at the beginning of the interview, I like to help grow people, which is really you're saying I'm mentoring them. And so he came over and he's a little shy, right? And he's like, and he's fairly new. And so he's just standing there with his little mask on, like watching. And you're like, so why don't you introduce yourself to KK? And I'm in the, like, he can't see me, but I'm just smiling. Cause I'm like, Oh, here we go. Like mentor to mentee. And, and so, and then you're like, so, um, 
what brush would you use with this? And like, what would you do? And like, I'm watching the whole process. And I think like, man, these kids have no idea how lucky they are to like be training with you, right? Because like, I know your skill set. And I know that you go to Paris and you travel all around the world. And you're one of L'Oreal's like, you know, like, I remember you, I, I think you were in Paris. I'm not sure where you were. But you sent your girlfriends this picture like all of a sudden you look up and you're like on this billboard thingy with the lights and I'm like holy shit like this is so cool right so I'm like these kids are just like in New Hampshire I'm like but they're getting like this world-class training so you know the thing we didn't touch on very quickly and then I want to go back to balayage I mean go back to the stories of your customers and your clients who are part of the JT family but I, I think you know you are a highly skilled balayage artist. And we haven't even touched on that. So this concept of painting hair, to me, it's like one of those things where like storytelling comes naturally to me. Like, and look, I, what do I know? Cause I only know you now that you have the skill set. but did you always find that it was a natural proclivity of yours? Like it just made sense to you how to paint hair? It was like, I saw balayage for the first time and I was like, thank you, Jesus, something that really makes sense to me. Like, it was like, yes, we should paint the hair. I hated doing foils and seeing the line, the railroad tracks growing out of the scalp. Like, the, skunk, like the skunk stripe, I call it, yeah. And so I saw Nancy Braun, my mentor, who she owns a salon in Beverly Hills, and she goes back and forth. She's done, she did Jane Fonda's hair forever, all these people, it's <laughs> like a badass, super humble, incredibly talented, and so kind. And she, and I got to go to Paris with her to do a project this time last year. It was actually a year ago this month. And it was like the most surreal. I was like, okay, I'm complete. I can, <laughs> I can retire. Um, but yeah, when I saw her do balayage for the first time, it's like when you see something and it just clicks and you're like, yes, I relate to that. I see that. But somebody, I'm sure it's like a yoga pose, somebody who does it really well and has been doing it for a long time makes it look easy. And then you go to do it and you're like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah. So let so, me, let me interrupt very quickly because you just made a really good point. And, um, all right. Saying my internet connection is unstable, but hopefully it's going to pass. All right. So there's uh -oh. this, no, no, it's okay. Oh, so there's this, there was this, this, um, workshop that I teach uh, you're frozen again, but I'm just going to keep talking in case we're okay. So there's this workshop that I teach called um, Seeing the Room with a Teacher's Eye. And so it's like for other yoga teachers. And wait, I'm going to pause just in case this isn't happening. Hold on. So what I was saying, and we're back. So what I was saying was um, I teach this class for fellow yoga teachers. Uh, I love to teach teachers. And it was called Seeing the Room with a Teacher's Eye. And I talk about how, like, you know, from the moment somebody walks in the door of the studio, the class has already begun. It's not when they come in and roll out their mat and get on the mat and you greet them. It starts the moment that you see them. You see their body language. You see how they're moving. You see what their mood is. Well, do they look you in the eye? Do they look sad? What's going on? Their energy level, all this stuff. And one of the things that I would say, like, I would put somebody in the middle of the room on a mat, a fellow teacher. I would say, come into this pose. And the rest of us would stand back like we were looking at a piece of art, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd say, teachers, tell me what you see. And I could immediately see, like, I would adjust the foot, the hip, the this, the this, the this, the this, right? And it's not to say, oh, I'm so cool and special, but I'm trying to make a point. When you look at a head of hair, you see it with an artist in a teacher's eye. Like, and you could immediately say, 
well, if this was my client, I'm sure this is what I would do, or this is what they asked for, and this is how I would approach it, right? So it just comes really natural to you, I imagine, at this point. Oh, it totally does. So when, when I saw Nancy do it for the first time, I went back to the salon and I was just like, I was young enough and ballsy enough to be like, <laughs> fuck it. We're going to switch everyone to balayage. No one's getting foils anymore. I just went head first and it was a disaster. I was running late. I was like, where did all my highlights go? When I was like, I painted a million highlights in there. And then I'd call Nancy and Nancy, I love the way she teaches. She said, we need women on the balayage team and I need you to be able to, you need to practice. And so we had like a training, a train the trainer training, and then we we're going to have another one in like two months. And she said, you need to balayage 75 heads by the next time I see you. And if you don't, I'll be able to tell. And I was like, Oh boy. So I'd be like out back of my cubby with my check marks, like one, two, three. <laughs> and painfully got there and if I had Fonz at the time I would have practiced on him too <laughs> this fluffy little tail and so it just was one of those things that it's like we live in a society what I love about balayage is we live in a, in a society of instant gratification and there is no instant gratification when you are learning balayage it is a painstaking practice and some people get really good at it. Like I find the young ones, they don't have any bad habits to break in, in terms of like, and not even necessarily bad habits, but it's muscle memory. So like yes. if you've been a power lifter your whole life, and then all of a sudden you're going to do yoga poses and you got to keep <laughs> your shoulders down, you got to like, you know, you've, you, your muscles have been trained to do a certain thing for a certain amount of time. So when you're foiling, you're heavy handed and you're smashing in the lightener and whatever the product is. And then I always say, because I'm a dancer, I'm like, balayage is like a ballet. It's soft and it's delicate. And foiling is like break dancing. It's like, there's a lot of things, a lot of hard motions, movements. So, and I always said too, that it's, uh, I never forget when I taught my first balayage class, you will never see a room of hairdressers silent except for in a balayage class. Like usually you have to be like, all right, everybody quiet down. We got to go over this, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, I'm like, everyone hates the class. No one's learning anything. They're all quiet. And then I realized, no, they're all focused and they're all watching. And they're all like, it's because it's truly like an art and you're free painting and you're painting the hair for where it lives and how it moves and what texture it is. And, you know, all of those things in the negative space is just as important, as, if not more important than where you're placing it. And so to me, you know, it takes more artistry to put fewer pieces in the right spots yes. than to sort of just fill in the blanks and, you know, oh, okay, there's dark hair here. We're just going to put some highlights there. So long story short, that's why I love balayage and I love teaching it. And I've been grateful that I've been able to teach it all over. But what people laugh, like the two questions I always open up my class with is I'd raise my hand and say, who here has tried to teach themselves balayage via YouTube and they would all laugh and raise their hands. Cause that wasn't even out really. That wasn't even really a thing when I was learning it. Like Instagram wasn't out when I was learning yes. balayage. And so for me, I think because, you know, I'm 34 now, I think, wow, I'm so, I, I jumped on this train really early. You thanks did. to my mentor who was like, you need to do this. And so that's all I want to be for people um, that come to my salon is give them opportunities, not force my path on theirs. You know, my way is my way. And the things that I've learned, you know, I've, I've needed to learn, but 
I just want to show, and I guess that's what I mean by when I say that I'm an advocate is that I want to, I want to strongly, I want to introduce them and, and fight for as many pos to give them as many possibilities as I can and expose them to as much as I can. Because when I left Portsmouth for the first time and I got to go to Paris for the first time when I was 22 and it was a 5,000 person symposium with hairdressers from all over the world, like Russia, um, Paris, uh, South Africa, China, like all these places and everyone wore a badge with their country that they came from, where they were and to see everybody, there was a huge gala dinner at the Grand Palais, which is a stunning building. And I just remember pinching myself and walking around, walking in and going, I've never left the country before. And this is like the biggest craziest mm -hmm. most unbelievable and it's like I didn't know that there was I knew that there was such a big world out there but to actually see that and experience that and connect with people and go wow there's hairdressers similar to me all over the world you know and that was what I was so I've been traveling this is the least I've traveled in 10 years you know due to the pandemic and it's been great to slow down and really reflect and think on everything um but that's what I want to do for my team, you know, is just really provide opportunities and watch them grow and, and myself continue to grow. Yeah. Well, so I said at the very beginning, like I wanted to circle back to that as an advocate and warrior of light and what you mean by that. And I, I definitely want to hear more maybe perhaps about, um, you know, how that reflects in your team and what you really mean by that statement, an advocate and warrior of light. But I, I also want to say that I think that you're an advocate and a warrior of light, um, if I'm understanding it, how I think it is, but I want to hear it from you, like for your clients and this incredible, this incredible, and I know we've talked about social media a thousand times, how we feel about it, love and hate, but I think the way you just used it with this campaign that you did, all about the stories of your clients and, uh, you know, and wanting to tell their stories and wanting people to see. So can you kind of tell me the inspiration behind that, because what you were saying, you know, you talked about it briefly. I think one of the reasons why you are so passionate about this work is what you said is like, you've always been interested in people and you love people. And I think the way that you, like I always talk about it and I say, you know, as we often have identity and purpose problems, we're like, who, who am I? Who am I really? And why am I really here? And I always say, well, who you are is love and what all you're trying to do here, if, if what you are and who you are is love, your only job is to extend that love. Whether you do it as a spiritual mentor or a writer or a storyteller or a musician or um, a hairstylist, a salon owner, whatever. But this is the way that you administer the medicine is you extend love to people who are in your salon, who you're mentoring, who are in your chair. So this, this big campaign that you just did telling the stories of all these people, tell me why it was important for you and like, and maybe if you're able to tie it into that comment about being an advocate and warrior of light, like what that means to you. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to work with my friend Kristen, who owns Prism House, um, and her partner Carrie. I want we had we've known each other for ten years, and they they are storytellers as well. And they wanted to get more into doing brand storytelling. And to me, 
if I'm, if I'm going to create something, it needs to be very intentional. And what I wanted to do is tell what the experience means both to my clients, but also to us about what it means to be part of our family. Like when you come into the salon and I'm not saying we have to have this deep conversation. Like sometimes it's just light and funny and we're exchanging jokes. And sometimes we're talking about a lost child or a divorce or a lost husband or wife or, you know, whatever's happened, or it's a happy time and it's a wedding. We go through so many things. Like we are one of very few professions that are still, that still touch people and come into contact with people and a robot will never replace that. And so for me, I was telling one of my mentors, uh, her name is Sally and she was, um, she was just, she's just an incredible person. And she was moving. She did just move to the West coast to be closer to her son and his wife. And she had told me that she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. Um, and it just hit me. And I was like, Whoa, it's just like every year I know that things change. I know the industry will look different. The salon will look different. The world will look different. And I, I really was like, so many things happen within the walls of the salon, but it happens so quickly. And because I'm so in it with people, I wanted to create also these memories for our clients to have and for me to have. And so they'll all have these pictures. And, and in 2020, I just really wanted to create something with love, like, Mm -hmm. especially in 2020. And you know, I I've said a lot of things like 2020 took this, it shut my business down, blah, blah, blah. And my language has really changed to what 2020 has given me. And it's given me a lot of opportunities and, and different things that I would not have had, you know, that time to do. So we put this shoot together and we took 17 of, of our clients and we photograph them and we ask them the question, what does beauty mean to them at this stage of their life? Mm-hmm. And we had a wide range of people um, that were, that have all been clients, you know, for at least four or five years, some of them for 10, 14 years. So it was, it was so cool to watch because I also know all of them in a very personal way, but also to hear when I would, it would be like Christmas. I'd be like, Ooh, who's next up on the gram today. And I would get to see, cause Kristen was, producing everything. And so I got to sort of be, I got to be part of the creation process, but then because Prism was pushing out all of the content for me, it was, it was so cool to be able to also be a spectator. Cause when you're creating, it's like when you're hosting a party, right? Like you, you enjoy it, but there's a, you're, you're not in it the way that the guests are in it. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was such a brilliant collaboration because they all are clients of mine from prism house and they got to really they they understand the essence of what it means of what of what my quote unquote why is that i started the salon and why i continue to go and to be a hundred percent honest this year and a couple of past years you know since i moved into the new location it's been very challenging both financially and um you know, just going through a lot of changes and where I am in my life. And so I, I needed this almost more than anybody, because it was when I get to create and I get to have those conversations and connections, it's just so easy nowadays, but especially in 2020 with the social distancing, it was so great to create something and feel so connect, like truly connected to people. And so when I say, you know, like, 
advocate and warrior of light. And, you know, I don't even know often when people ask me what I do, you know, like you were just saying about the purpose and everything. I'm like, I am just me. And I'm just here to love everybody that's in my path with complete compassion and the experiences that I've had in my life allow me now to connect with many different levels of people, people who have been through a lot of trauma. I've been through a lot of trauma early on in my life. And so it gives me it gives me, and now I can see through a different lens of that trauma. Right. Yes. And so there are some times that I have days that are really hard and I'm being, you know, quote unquote triggered. And I'm having like a tough day where I'm just feeling like I want to crawl out of my skin. And then there's other days that I go in and I'm like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And so to me, I just want to continue to show up the best version of me, whatever that is that day and, and to connect, but it's like, as I, as I'm helping heal others, it's also healing me. And so I, it's just, to me, it's, it's just where I'm supposed to be. And I just trust that whatever's going to happen is supposed to happen. Yeah. And I think part of it, it's been really cool for me too, because, um, the way that you and I work together is like, you help me with my hair. And then I share like, you know, Men, I think it's okay to talk about spiritual, oh, 100%. Mentoring, spiritual mentoring with you. So I've been able to see firsthand, right? Like this arc of growth, like, you know, when we're writing, like you asked me yesterday about the craft of writing and, you know, when did you really start to take it seriously and all this stuff, you know? And so whenever there's a story, like if you ever watch, like my sweetie and I, if we're watching like a show and yeah. there's no character arc, meaning that the, 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 the main character or whoever is exactly the same at the end, like, oh God, they're, they're always going to be, but whatever, I'm just using these words. I'm not yeah. judging anybody, but oh God, they're always going to be a drunk. They're always going to fuck it up. That's not interesting to me if there's not a character arc, right? In a story. So it's been really fascinating to be your friend and also like, you know, your me- spiritual mentor to, and, yeah. you know, also to be a, uh, a client of yours to see you. So I get to see you in your professional life. I get to know you in your personal life. And then I'm able to support you as needed. Uh, and I've been able to watch your character act over these last couple of years. So it's really been an incredible journey, you know? I can't thank you enough for the work that we've done together. I quote you all the time. Mm-hmm. To be a guest on your podcast, I mean it. Your podcast is like one of my all-time favorites. I'm oh. <laughs> sending it to people. I just, I love it because your, your ability, like I've had a lot of coaches over the years and your ability to call the bullshit. Like you always say, it's not easy to work with me and it's not. And it's, and it, but that's what I love about it because you're not a yes person or you're not that you call people in a loving way on their shit, but you still see them. And like I said to you over the pandemic, I'm like, well, we'll see how full of shit I really am. If I can't get my (laughs) spiritual practice down now, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but it's yeah. To see the arc and to see, you know, to have had so many mentors and, um, and have, people like you in my life and learn, you know, like, I think the biggest thing I've learned is, you know, also, I only want to take advice from people I'm willing to trade places with. <laughs> uh, and, you know, really coming into my own and, and, and also honoring, you know, all the versions and variations that yeah. I have been up into this point. And that's what I love sharing with the most. It's not that I love doting on old times of like, yeah, I got into a car accident. I got arrested in front of the high school and this and that. I share those stories because I'm like, guys, 
if I can do it, like I've <laughs> overcome things. Like it's, I didn't, I didn't pop out of school, this like brilliant entrepreneur that's like, <laughs> you know, I'm learning, I'm, I'm in the school of hard knocks, as my dad says, you know, it's like everyone, my business partner, he's like, you're getting your MBA right now, just pay attention and keep learning. And it's like, it's if we can learn as human beings to do things, you know, obviously things that are safe, but like in, keep doing things scared because we, we never feel prepared. We never feel ready for the quote unquote path we're supposed to take. We want to see it all laid out for us before we take like the first step often. And the greatest gift that entrepreneurship has given me is you, you don't need to understand the how, and that's what you and I have worked on is just taking the first step and trusting and then letting, you know, the next brick of the road be laid down in front of you. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's been amazing to work with you and to be where I am now and to really say, you know, and there's a lot of changes that are still to come, but I just, I love when, I love when clients come in and that, and that's all we do is like you say, you're a storyteller too. I feel like I am too. And that's all we do is we exchange stories at the salon. It's like, we're all just people. And I think, I think it's funny knowing my story, you know, and now, you know, more people will know that side of me. And so when they see the salon, because it, it's all, life is all perception and you see it would, it's very easy to have one perception when you walk in and so that's why I love sharing the story. And I love that the salon looks very shiny and pretty on the outside. Cause it's just this little mass hole on the inside. socks. <laughs> it's like, let's fucking do it. You know, like. That's what I love. And that's why, one of the reasons why I love having my friends and people I love who I think are doing incredible work in the world, uh, very hot scented and uh, character based people like that are um, doing incredible work because I want people I want people to see behind the scenes. That to me is like, you know, there's a reason why the movie Rocky, well, first of all, it's beloved to me, but it's beloved across the world because it's a comeback kid story, right? It's an underdog story. And, you know, like all of us in our, I'm like, look, if you were born into a human body, you're immediately an underdog because shit is not all going to go well, right? Like, and so I love being able to put, um, you know, the backstory uh, of the salon out there and have people get to know you because I think it is exactly right. People, it's so easy to make assumptions. Like even with me, like people are like, so do you ever have a bad day? Do you ever like do this? And I just like laugh. It's like, because so often if we're invited to do something publicly, whether like you were just in um, like on the cover of like Portsmouth living, right? Is that the name of the, the thing? Yeah. So it's really easy for people to see the now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there's no now without talking about the girl with the roll down <laughs> socks, right? And there's no now without talking about the, the kid who grew up in Lawrence, right? Like, so everything has led to this exact moment. And we continue to grow and we continue to make mistakes and we continue to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off. But yeah, and part of it hopefully is that we continue to do things that are hard or we continue to do things that are scary. But the more that we continue to do our spiritual practices, we have more trust and faith in something greater than us. So maybe we can do it a little less scared. And that's the thing. Like when people talk about fearless flow, they'll say, okay, okay so you teach people how to be fearless. And I'm like, mm, there's always going to be yeah. <laughs> a certain level of like, oh God, <laughs> like, oh, like, but once we know who walks along beside us, once we start to align ourselves with the divine, as you, you know, as we're all doing, anybody who works with me, like that's the intention. And that's the goal for kids like you and I who grew up the way that we did. You know, it's just such a relief to like do it a little less scared. Yes. 
Thank you for helping me do that. Yeah, and well, thank you. I mean, look at, I, I, first of all, I wasn't saying that to like get a plug, but I appreciate it. But I also wanted people to see that side of you, that you also are doing the personal work. You're not just doing the haircutting and the training. And like, just even yesterday, you said, I still take hair education classes. I still mm -hmm. learn about products because it's always changing. Mm -hmm. But you're also working on yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that never stops. Ever. It, it, and I think honestly, the more quote unquote, however you define success you achieve, the more work, you know, I think that there is to do. It's just like, they call it a spiritual practice because it's, it's a daily practice. It's a lifetime practice, you know, like it's never, it's never not going to go away. So I think, I, I think the biggest thing is like, there is no there, you know, it's just, where am I right now? And it's truly that, you know, how could I not be too far in the future and too much in the past and really be in the now? And I feel like it really wasn't until this year that I really understood that and saw how much anxiety that brings me. Cause when you own a business and you know, you're self-employed, you, you're constantly working and planning for the future. So it's hard to not live there a lot of the time and saying, oh, well, I need to get there. I need to do this. And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm almost like 10 years since I opened the salon. I'm going, how the hell did that time pass? You know, like I said to my associate yesterday, I go, yeah, you know, she's going for like the Meg Ryan shag kind of haircut. She goes, who's Meg Ryan? I was like, what? <laughs> well, that's like, yeah, welcome to my world, yeah. right? Like I laugh. It's like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I hear, I hear you a hundred percent. I hear you a hundred percent. Yeah, you're still my age, and I'm like, nope, I am 14 years older than you, or whatever it is, you know. And it's, it's, um, yeah, there. It's just well, and I think that's part of it. What we're talking about, and um, is like time traveling. It's time traveling when you go into your past and you feel that regret time traveling you yeah. project into the future like oh god and you're, you're after some goal or you're worried about paying the bills or whatever the thing is and that's projecting the time traveling into the future but the mm -hmm. only place that love is happening is in the now and more and more and more this year i've seen you start to kind of because what you just described like holy shit 10 years went by and if we're always thinking about what we did in the past and how we fucked up and blew it or blah, blah, or we're projecting into the future your life is happening now and you're missing it and so, and I'm not saying that about you, but saying all of us. And so one of the most powerful things that you can do is to just meet yourself where you're at right now, but know that all those versions of you, like, even though you're back there, you know, on a stage teaching, whatever you're doing, it's like the little girl with the roll down socks goes with you. Yeah. But so does the incredibly wise teacher and the very skilled leader and the one who has the salon and the more that we can just kind of welcome all parts of ourselves, the more fun we're going to have. Mm -hmm. And, and I just see it in you. I mean, I just think this was a huge year for you. And I think even next year is going to be even more incredible. And I think, you know, and like I said, like, I haven't known you your whole life, but you know, you and I don't have shallow conversations. I feel like I know you really well. And I think you're more you, you're more you now than you've ever been in the years that I've known you. And there's a, there's a more of a, like even when, when you're at the salon and I get to see you be the leader, like that's always so fun for me. Like the way you talk to associates and the way that you like handle the phone calls while you're doing the hair and you say to somebody else, you know, do like, it's just like, oh, she's like orchestrating like this. She's like the conductor of this whole symphony of hair and it's wicked cool. It's so cool. Thank you. <laughs>
for seeing all parts of me. Of course. And I love you so much. And thank you so much for um, being on the Karen Kenny show. It has been a pleasure and a delight. And will you just tell people, um, I don't even know at this point if you are still accepting new clients, but can you tell us a little bit about how people can find you, how they can find out about the salon? And if somebody is interested in coming there, like what's the best way to connect with you or your associates? Yeah, for sure. We now have a Jessica Todd Salon app, which is really exciting. So yeah. you can get that on the app store. You cannot book me through the app. So a lot of my clients are like, hey, how come I can't find you? So I am still accepting new clients. You know, my goal is to pass on 10% of my clientele to my associates every year. Um, and I think I've given away more than that. I'm like, <laughs> so we are, um, you can find us at jessicatodd.com. Um, you can call us. We always do complimentary consultations. So we do ask a lot of questions, uh, to make sure that we're matching you with the right stylist, but you can find a lot of information right on our website. Um, and you can follow us on at Jessica Todd and H um, on Instagram. And my Instagram handle is at Freshica Todd. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we're not, we're, we're posting more on Facebook, but we're not as great on Facebook, but you can find me personally on Facebook. And I always share all the salon stuff. Um, and we would love to meet you and see you. And I have an amazing team. So if it's, if, getting in with me is, is not the jam. There's so many people and we really try to fit people with, with what your needs are. So, you know, if you're looking for a specific color situation, it might be me. If you're looking for a specific cut, it might be one of my associates. Um, but we always make sure that we match everybody with the right person. So, and we're in downtown Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And um, yeah, thank you so much, KK. Yeah. They're right next door to the AC hotel in 3S Aspate down on Bond street. And and I will just say, um, one of the things I love about the salon, uh, for anybody who goes there is, right, it's not just like, it, it really feels like, like, oh, it's hair day, like I get to go. Like you walk in and you're like, oh, this is for me. Like yeah. I get to be here, like I'm being treated. And it really feels like, it does feel like a treat. Like, you know, like I, I always walk in and I'm like, oh, it's a hair day. Like I get so excited. Like I always say to my sweetie, oh, I can't wait to go. I can't wait to go and get my hair done. And yeah, of course, part of it's like, it's nice to freshen up the hair, but getting to see you and getting to see these people we love and everybody says hi to you and you all start to get to know each other. And it is really like a family and you've just done an incredible job. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think like to circle back to your grandmother um, in that love note that she left you where she said, you don't have to be so angry. You can just put down your dukes, basically that she was saying to you. And I feel like this, this salon that you've created is the culmination of your spirit, like taking that advice mm. and putting down your dukes and like welcoming, creating this most beautiful welcoming space for people. So, um, and we talked about the word proud yesterday, but we'll say, I'll say it in, I'm really proud of you and I'm really proud of what you've created. And the vision that you're, the, the, the safe place that you're trying to create for people to um, come feel more beautiful. And as you always say, like beauty, it's, it's from the inside out, but if you can help somebody look their best, everything from people who I know, like, you know, we don't have enough time. So like go into everything that you guys have done there, but helping women with hair loss from cancer, like all the different things that I know behind the scenes you've done that you're, you know, you're not going to self shout out. It's like your work, is powerful. And I think people can easily poo poo, like, um, 
the fashion industry or like hair and stuff like that as vanity or surfacy or outside, but you're working at a, at a much deeper level. So I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you. The best work that we've done is the work that we have not been paid for that paid us tenfold of we did hair for mothers in recovery that live in a group home. And I can't imagine going through recovery and trying to raise a child on top of it and living with other people going through it. And one woman DM'd me or messaged me during the camp, the launch of the campaign. And she's like, those girls, it meant so much to them. And it makes me choked up every time because for me to get to that place, like if I could do, if I could do that every day and just do free hair for people that really deserve it. Yeah. I know your hat. I know your hat. That's why I think it's important that people see that it's, um, this is why you really do it because your goal, it's about loving people. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show because it's, like I said, it's, you see the campaign with you on the railroad tracks and the boots and the purple lipstick and the beauty. And it's so easy to, to just look at the external pot, but I understand why you do this work and why it's so important to you. Cause you love a good underdog too. Yeah. And everyone deserves to be loved, you know, that's yeah. We can just stop right there. <laughs> Perfect ending. Everyone deserves to be loved. Well, I love you, Jessica Todd. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I all really right. appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you too. Thank you for all your time today. And you guys, thank you so much. Go make sure to check out all those links. And you know, as I always say at the end of the show, um, I know you could be anywhere right now. And the fact that you took time out of your day to, to tune in and to not, to not tune out, but to tune in and to check in with yourself and to spend some time with me and my beautiful friend. Thank you so much. I see you. I appreciate you. I celebrate you. I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. -E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing. <laughs>